Welcome to the Rational Hour with Ryan, where we talk sports. Today we have a very special guest on the show, Mr. Brian Cullen. Brian has worked extensively with the Clipset podcast and the ball is left. We're going to get right into it, Brian. This season is just getting started this week. Training camp is opening. Um, it's It's been a crazy, wacky year. I mean, it seemed like it just ended, you know, and uh, so it's starting right back up, which is good, you know, just because of the everything going on in the world today. So sports kind of keeps the world going. Um, we're just going to go right into it, man. Uh, it, I'm going to start with some kind of interesting news with the Western Conference and kind of go down the line. Sure. Um, November 16th, the Suns acquired Chris Paul. Um, they got Chris Paul basically from the Thunder. The Thunder gave up uh, Nader for Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio in a first-round pick. The Suns were hot, man. They went 8-0 in the bubble. They finished uh, the season kind of low. They were right there at 26 and, and 39, right at 40% just do the 65 games. Can the Suns get in contention in the West, Brian? What do you think of that team? Uh, can they get over the hump and be a title contender or just a playoff team? Okay, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned how they ended the season hot last year, you know, in the bubble. I, I don't even know, I can't even call it last year because that feels like that was two weeks ago. But uh, in the bubble, they, they ended their season pretty hot, almost making the playoffs, which is the most Phoenix Suns thing that could possibly happen. It seems like ever since they've gotten Devin Booker, this is the thing, right? Like we get really excited about him at the end of the season. And, and every year we can convince ourselves a hey, next year, the Suns are going to be good. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be really, in, they're going to take that next step. And then the next season starts and it's really slow. And then we get to the end of the season and they almost make the playoffs again. If we were going into this current season with the roster that they had last year, and I, I'm not meaning to throw, in, to throw any disrespect on what they did in the bubble, but I don't think I would be as high on them. I think getting Chris Paul is huge. I think Chris Paul just alone makes you a playoff team. Contending for a championship, I think might be a bit of a stretch. Uh, you know, I, I, I have I have some questions about uh, about Devin Booker, um, especially in terms of, of defense. Uh, I, you know, I think Chris Paul, obviously, he not only raises the floor, but he raises the ceiling for this team. I think the underrated aspect of getting Chris Paul is what that means for the development of DeAndre Ayton. I think having a, you know, traditional floor general pass first point guard, especially one with the passing ability and, and just general basketball IQ of Chris Paul for DeAndre Ayton is going to be huge. I think we're going to see him take a massive step. I also think it's going to be good for, for Devin Booker. It'll be interesting to see the ball out of his hands a little more. Um, you know, I, I think that playing the two is a more natural position for Devin Booker. So uh, being able to play off the ball a bit more, get into his spots and then have somebody set him up. I think is going to be good. However, contention, I, I don't I don't see them contending. I still think that there are several teams above them in the West. Yes. I mean, the, the, the reason I bring up Chris Paul, his age at this point in his career, he pretty much, there was a lot of rumors of him going to the Lakers and him and LeBron are so close. Everyone kind of ties them together. The West is so tough. I mean, the Lakers finished last year at 52 and 19, top of the West. And 
Phoenix was down in the bottom. I don't know if they can pass all those teams. I mean, only eight teams make the playoffs. I mean, the Nuggets, the Rockets seem to take a step back. The Thunder took a step back. I think the Mavs, Jazz, the Clippers are all still there. Um, it's so tough with the West being what it is. So I really like that Russell Westbrook went to the East because it kind of can give a little bit of balance. I think you'll actually do well with Bill and him in the backcourt. But going back to the Suns, I mean, they got Booker, Paul. I think Bridges will be critical year for him. They signed Crowder, Sarich. They still got Aiden. They signed Etan Moore, um, Galloway. They got a couple of players. I love Monty Williams as a coach. So that's one team I think we really need to watch. Um, sticking in the West is the Splash Brothers era over. Uh, I mean, I know Thompson went down. But is Golden State going to be able to rebound? Everyone's looking for them to kind of get back to pace. But will that ever That's happen? That's tough, man. Like the the Clay Thompson thing. What, did, regardless of how you felt about the Warriors' little dynasty run that they had there, nobody wants to see somebody go down. And he's going to miss two seasons now. And it's funny because you mentioned the Russell Westbrook thing, and I think it's very similar with John Wall, who's missed two seasons essentially. Like, mm-hmm. is is somebody, man? Especially an Achilles injury, and somebody whose whose right. game is built. You know, Clay Thompson. We talk about, you know, his shooting, which obviously he's got a nice lift on his shot. He's not, you know, there's a chance he's not going to have that same jump with with an Achilles injury. Yeah. And I think the most underrated part of his game is his perimeter defense. And I don't know if he's going to be as agile as he has been coming off of these injuries. Uh, I'm not ready to count them completely out. I still think Golden State has something up their sleeve in terms of making a move this year. I don't think they really have any intentions of keeping... um, I'm blanking on his name. Who was was the kid they grabbed at number two in the draft? Wiseman. Wiseman, I, I, I I don't really see them having any long-term plans, uh, especially when you look at where their money is tied up on the roster. It's with, you know, it's with the, 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 the dynasty core. So I think that they're still interested in competing. I also think that, you know, whatever happens this year, they've had their eyes on Giannis. I, they're doing very similar to what, what the Clippers did with Kawhi, where they set up a kind of two or three year plan to go get this guy. Um, and it's, it's no secret. Everybody around the league knows that, that they have been hunting for Giannis for a while now. And they're just hoping that Giannis doesn't sign that. You know, I, I, I think a potential trade with Wiseman or something like that really is going to come down to whether or not Giannis signs this extension, um, you know, at the end of the month here. If he, if he does, that right. might change the trajectory of, of what they're planning on doing. If he doesn't, and it and it's looking like he's going to enter free agency, I think that they they remain somewhat calm and uh, and keep their eyes on the prize, which is which is still getting Giannis. So uh, I, I still think that there's a potential for them contending in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, I mean, there was a lot of whispers of Golden State dealing that number two pick to add another veteran, which never came to fruition, but. Looking at their, the makeup of their team, it, I think it's key with Andrew Wiggins and where he goes in his career. Because he was, you know, number one pick, a lot of expectations, kind of him and LeBron kind of never, that whole thing in Cleveland never worked, traded him to Minnesota. So I think it's a, a decent lineup when you look at their team, Brian. I mean, Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Ray, Draymond Green, and Wiseman. They added Wanamaker from Boston, and then they got Bazemore, Looney, and they drafted Nico Mannion out of Arizona. They got Damon Lee. They got some decent players, not real guys that you fear, but 
it'll be interesting to see how much uh, Steve Kerr is able to do with this team. Uh, is he that good of a coach? Was it just the Splash Brothers that carried him? We don't know. It'll be a lot to be said with Steve Kerr, I think, what he's able to do with this team, uh, dealing with this this uh, Pacific Conference uh, division and the whole Western Conference in a whole. Um, now, with that whole trade that happened with Westbrook for Wall, who do you think won in that trade? Oh, man, that's such a hard question to answer because we don't know what John Wall still has. Uh, we haven't seen him. If right. John Wall is 80% of what he was you know, before he went down two years ago, essentially. Uh, I think Houston wins. I think Houston wins for a couple of reasons. I think they get kind of more of a point guard, uh, fits their their roster a bit better than than uh, Russell Westbrook did. Uh, a de- definitely better perimeter shooting uh, than Russell Westbrook. Uh, and then, you know, uh, again, we don't know what he's going to look like, but we know that he has a great relationship with DeMarcus Cousins, who the Rockets also signed. Um, you know, that goes back to their college right. days. And I think that that alone, just that strong of a friendship going into it could help out with some of the locker room, ease some of the tension. Um, you know, we'll see We'll see what it looks like if, if this is another, you know, NBA star that he's playing with, uh, with Harden, which seems to be a, a reoccurring theme here. But um, I, I think it's them. I, I don't think that Washington – so – I'll, I'll be on the record of saying this. I'm not the biggest Russell Westbrook fan uh, in, in terms of contending or, uh, you know, anything like that. I, I like Russell Westbrook in terms of like, hey, man, he gets some great highlights, really fun to watch. I don't think he necessarily makes a team a contender. Um, and it, it's such a bizarre move for, for Washington. I just don't know what their plan is. I guess make the playoffs this time. I like... That, that kind of seems to be the only thing that they're aiming for at the current moment. Yeah, Washington is, I, I love kind of the combination of Bill and Westbrook. I think their styles fit just as well as it does with Wall and Harden. I think that's a kind of a perfect fit for both those guys. And the thing you mentioned with Wall and Cousins, I think that's, you know, going to help Silas in his, in his first year coaching that team. I think he'll build around them. I think he's a good hire for them. Um, you know, I think P.J. Tucker's at the end of his career. I was surprised they let Covington go. I thought he played well for them. But it's going to be interesting with D'Antoni gone and that system being out of there, how this translates to their play. Because Harden is kind of yeah. a wall-dominant guard. Will Wall, you know, will Wall, you know, subside that to him and let him run the show? That's the thing we got to watch. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Houston, what are they doing? Because there's still a lot of whispers that they could trade Harden. And and I don't I don't know if they will because Silas actually mentioned in his um, training camp uh, briefing that he hadn't really talked to Harden and that basically he was giving him his space. So that that to me that speaks volumes when your star player and the coach are not on the same page or they're not communicating. Kind of seems like there's something there. You kind of read in between the lines. We'll see. Kind of keep the the door open with that. It's something that could be lingering as far as a deal being made for Harden. Um, I don't know if he's just not happy or, or what the situation well, by, is, but we'll see. By all accounts, Houston is, is, is the ownership is that he doesn't like uh, Tillman Fertitta. Uh, yeah, um, Fertitta is, is was his guy, you know, I, for not his guy, but the the analytics guy, the GM that left and went to to Philly with Dan Tony. Oh no, Tony's yeah, Daryl Morey went to Philly. Oh, 
Daryl Morey went to Philly. So there's a lot of talk of him getting traded to the Eastern Conference, which I think, again, would help the balance of the NBA because the Western Conference is so strong. Um, going back to the finals, man, the, the Lakers are so strong, man. I mean, is this just an easy repeat for the Lakers? Can they pull it back to back? I mean, I think they can, opinion? definitely. Um, you know, I think they got better in certain aspects. Um, you know, I, I I like some of the moves. I don't love all the moves. It, it, to me, it's really interesting to see. Like, I, I like getting Dennis Schroeder. I'm a Dennis Schroeder fan in terms of being, you know, a reserve guard that can score and, and be an energy guy off the bench. Uh, it sounds like there might be a little... Uh, I, I think tension would be overblowing it, but but a little confusion as to whether or not he's going to be starting for the Lakers. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know if I love Dennis Schroeder as like your playmaking guard, uh, especially in a starting lineup. I think LeBron kind of fits that perfectly, although I understand wanting to get some of that responsibility off of LeBron to keep him fresh, especially considering the quick turnaround that the Lakers are facing coming into the start of the season. Um, but there, there are some moves that I like, uh, the, the Marcus soul, you know, I, I'm curious to see if he's going to be starting. Um, I think that if he's going to be starting, it slows up their offense a little bit. It'll slow him down a bit. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's in the twilight of his career here, so he's not going to be as quick. He's never really been a quick guy, but definitely not going to be as quick as he was in his prime. Um, Montrez Harrell is really interesting to me. Um, I was kind of screaming last year with the Clippers uh, that Montrezl Harrell is going to cost the Clippers uh, playoff games, and and that's exactly what ended up happening. Um, it took me some time to get there, but mm. but you know after you look at enough footage, look at enough of the analytics, it was all there on the on the papers saying that if if Montrezl Harrell was going to play the minutes he played in the regular season, the Clippers were going to lose playoff games as a result. Defensively, he just doesn't. Against bigs, he, he's not effective on the defensive end of the floor. And last year, uh, more so than, than any of the prior years that he had with the Clippers, and he was in a contract year, which he essentially is going back into another contract year. He signed a two plus one at a very low dollar amount. So he's going to opt out after this next season. So we have to look at this next season as a contract year from Montrez Harrell. And, you know, all reports are the team the Clippers were pretty frustrated with him because they felt like he was uh, not really playing team basketball all the time. And that he, he uh, was kind of looking out for his own numbers to get that contract that he wanted. One, one way that that showed up on the court was when he was in the pick and roll, he stopped passing out of the short roll. If there were two or three defenders in front of him, he would still try to take it to the rim. Whereas the season before he was really, really effective at passing out of that short roll when the easy bucket wasn't there and hit and setting up a corner shooter. Uh, so I, I'm curious to see if he's going to repeat that kind of behavior with the Lakers this year. If he doesn't, that's really good for them. If you've got a guy with that energy uh, and that wingspan, you know what I mean, that, that, that can get to the rim and be that spark plug, I think that's great. I think the Lakers are probably the best team in terms of uh, covering up his his uh, defensive deficiencies with Anthony Davis, but you also don't want to tie Anthony Davis to – to Montrezl Harrell too much because they both are most effective in the post 
And you don't, I think teams would be very happy if Anthony Davis was forced to shoot from the perimeter more. So uh, that that's going to be interesting. I think Vogel's a smart coach. I think Vogel knows how to uh, best manage, you know, the, the amount of talent and what people are best at on this team. And I think he'll figure out a way to make it work. But yeah, I think they got a lot better. The Wes Matthews pickup was great. Uh, you know, it's, it's essentially what Danny Green was giving them, but on, on a much cheaper contract, which, which gave them more flexibility to make some of the moves that they made. And, you know, I, it comes down to health when it comes to Wes Matthews. But if, if you get a healthy Wes Matthews, I still think he's capable of being your kind of perennial 3 and D guy. Yeah, I think they really did a great job. I give it, I give a lot of credit to Palenka and what he did adding uh, Harold and, you know, getting Schroeder and Matthews and Gasol, great pickups. And the guys that let go, like you mentioned, I mean, with how they'll use Trez is is, is going to be very interesting because they let McGee go, Howard left to Philly. They don't really have another center on their roster. So I, I'm, I'm trying to see which way they're going. Are they going to go small ball? Are they going to add another big? And Gasol is not young. He's, yeah. He kind of showed some signs last year that he was – I thought he might retire. Actually, that's that's how it seemed in a way. But I thought they would try to get Ibaka, and I'm glad the Clippers ended up signing him because that was a, the best big man free agent on the market, and the Clippers went and got him. Even though they lost Harold, I will take Serge over Harold all day. Um, what the whole thing with the the, uh, the Clippers, Brian? What I mean, it was a lot of rumors. The things came out the Athletic about PG. You know, and the whole thing with this, the just kind of so many rumors and smoke coming from Clipper camp. I mean, the, everyone wanted to see the Battle of LA, the Lakers and Clippers. What happened with the Clippers? Did they not want to be there? What happened to the bubble situation with them? Um, I think there's a few things. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. in general for last season, continuity had a lot to do with it. There were a lot of injuries. I think the uh, the really they they only played 11 games total as a fully healthy team um in terms of their like 10 rotation guys their their 10 main rotation guys i think they only had like 11 or 12 games where everybody was available um you know Kawhi and Kawhi talked about it today uh in his scrum with the media with us that he uh was already looking at this season differently because he wasn't available and PG wasn't available for training camp last year. So they didn't even start out healthy. Um, so it was hard to build that kind of on-court chemistry. Uh, I think, you know, as I mentioned, the, the, there seemed to be some tension in the locker room and, and you could feel it last year in the locker room being in there, right. um, you know, with, with, with Trez specifically, um, there was, there was just, it wasn't a lighthearted atmosphere, uh, being in there. And I think that there were some growing pains when it comes to bringing in two stars going from, you know, the kind of underdog scrappy guys to then being like, you're the team that people have circled on their, on their, their, uh, their calendar when you're coming into town and they want to beat you. Um, I think that the team never really built, built great habits throughout the regular season. Um, I think from the top down, there was a bit of an attitude that, you know, on paper, they had one of the best teams in the league and and that was going to be enough to get them through. Uh, I also think that a lot of it falls on, on Doc Rivers. You know, I think there's a reason why Doc Rivers was let, was let go. You look at, we could even take the Denver series off the table. If you look at the Dallas series, they lost games because Doc refused to make adjustments. Um, And, you cannot do that, especially when you're going against a coach like Rick Carlisle, who's one of the best tacticians in the NBA. 
he immediately looked at the weak spots on the Clippers roster and attacked them. And we saw playoff games where Reggie Jackson, uh, Lou Williams, and Montrez Harrell were playing minutes together. And those are the three worst defenders on the team. There's no reason in a playoff scenario where those three guys should be sharing minutes together. And those were the points where the team gave up all their leads. So I think the refusal to not only make adjustments in the playoffs, but then you had, you know, the, the Denver series where, where Jokic just ate Montrez Harrell alive. And granted, Trez wasn't there for a lot of the bubble. And a few guys weren't because of personal reasons, death and family, like that kind of stuff. But um, he, he immediately exposed the undersized nature of the Clippers front court, especially off the bench. And it was a necessity to play Zubats more minutes. However, Zoo was never conditioned throughout the regular season to play those minutes. He always came out halfway through the third and he'd be done for the game. And Trez would play for, you know, 17 to 18 straight minutes to close out games. So the conditioning wasn't there for your actual big man to go in and close these games out. And you could see Zoo looked gassed. Not only was he not conditioned for it, he also came in after getting COVID. So uh, I, I think that there were a lot of things. Um, and from you know, the, the interviews I've been in during media week this week, the team is very self-aware on the role that they all played in it. You know, I think it would be easy for them to say, yeah, our head coach kind of screwed us in the playoffs and, and didn't make adjustments. And, and I do think that that resentment is there a bit, but they've all also owned up to it. And Kawhi today even said that this season was all about not skipping steps. And I think that specifically is speaking to building good habits and chemistry throughout the regular season and not playing with this assumption that the talent you have on the roster is just going to deliver you what you want at the end of the day. Right. Now, Brian, you're, you're in the, the press conferences, you're around the Clipper mm-hmm. facility. What's the biggest difference that Ty Lue brings to the Clippers that Doc didn't? That's tough because I haven't actually been around Ty as a head coach uh, because of COVID. Everything's being done um, remotely right now. Um, and, and it seems like a bit of that uh, is true for the players too. Kawhi today even said, uh, you know, he was in the practice facility today with them, but he was only running drills with four other guys. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's still some work to be done there. Um, in terms of just being a different presence, I think that I think that Doc lost the uh, lost the locker room a little bit, um, and there were reports that even in the playoffs, the coaching staff had disagreements with what Doc was doing. So it sounds like there was a lot of pushback on Doc's um, not only lack of adjustments but lack of accountability as well. And so I think Lou brings that. And I think everybody knows, you know, the, the famous story of, uh, of Lou basically making an example out of uh, LeBron during halftime game seven against the Golden State Warriors and telling him, you need to defend better. You're, you're being lazy on defense and, and your, your assignment is Draymond Green. And Draymond, I think, went five for five from three in that first half and yelled at him in front of the locker room. And I think that alone is a major difference, that that accountability didn't exist uh, before. And so I think the role players that maybe had a hard time adjusting to the preferential treatment that uh, superstars get uh, feel a little more comfortable knowing that if they're not holding up their end of the bargain of being the superstars, that Ty Lu will not go easy on them. Uh, and I think that the superstars know that, you know, Kawhi and PG know that, that Lu 
uh, likes to put in a modern offense and plays system basketball. And that means he's going to maximize the potential of the role players around them. So I think there's trust on both ends. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of talk with Ty Lue being very vocal as a head coach, kind of. And there were whispers that Doc was trying to be too much of a player coach. And that kind of came back to bite him. You know, you don't know what's true and what's not true, but I agree with you. I really think it kind of started to become white noise with Doc, where I think guys are tuning him out. And I think it was a lot to do with the whole, you know, Kawhi and PG having kind of the same standards. I think that kind of rubbed guys the wrong way from what I'm hearing, and that Kawhi should have had the respect and PG should have been not on the same level because of he hasn't accomplished what Kawhi has so far in his career. But, you know, kind of one of those buddy-to-buddy type situations and Doc didn't kind of put his foot down when it came between those two. That's a difficult thing because you're right. I mean, I, I agree. I think Kawhi should be the vocal leader um, on the team, but that isn't Kawhi. Kawhi's not a vocal guy. Um, you know, he today was the most lively I've ever seen him in a press scrum uh, where he was a little more talkative and, and um, really kind of enunciating himself and, and had this like energy to him that I haven't seen before. But in the locker room, he's not that guy. Pat, I've seen Pat be that guy. Um, you know, I think PG saw a void and was trying to step into it. And though I it did rub the guys the wrong way, I, I can't say that I completely fault Paul George for that because I think he saw that there was a lack of voice in the locker room and he was trying to fill that in. Now it didn't go over the way he had wanted it to, but you know, he was making an effort of, of trying to basically fill the hole that Kawhi was leaving there and not being the vocal leader. Um, I think Marcus Morris will be a bit more of a vocal leader this year. Um, and I think Kawhi and PG are both pretty, self-aware and humbled after what happened last year and understand where they need to step up in terms of leadership. I think, I think Paul George uh, understands that he needs to kind of let his game speak for itself a little bit and, and to lead by example. And I think Kawhi, um, you know, and, and I'm sure it's going to be a conversation with Ty Lewis. Kawhi needs to be a little more vocal uh, in the huddles and in the locker room. Is this the year that we can see the Clippers making it to the championship are they a championship i still think they are um just from a roster point of view yes uh it's hard to get there um you know i've been watching this team since i was five years old so there are deep psychological scars uh when it comes to me and the clippers uh and i spent an entire season last year believing that that they were the front runners uh to contend that, that they were the favorites and you know i kept telling myself like it's not the Clippers that I grew up with this roster is different but then I saw this roster do the exact same thing so it's difficult I do think that getting rid of Doc and not just Doc but they revamped the entire coaching staff and they made very very smart hires all the way down the coaching staff uh you know to to bring in Ty Lue is going to be that vocal guy I think that the locker room kind of players coach guy is going to be more Chauncey Billups Um, and, and I think he's going to do a great job of working with the guards that are currently on the roster. Kenny Atkinson is going to do an amazing job of, of working with the young guys and, and player development. Uh, Dan Craig is bringing a ton of experience and brings, you know, kind of the hard nosed culture that, that he was a part of 
in Miami. So I think that they put together a great coaching staff, and I think that's going to be the big difference. I think the talent-wise, for the most part, like you said, Ibaka, it was a really, really good get. Um, in some aspects, I think that they lowered the floor for the team, uh, you know, with Luke Kennard having knee issues with uh, not knowing exactly what uh, Nicholas Batum has left. I think that the floor might be a little lower than it was last year, but at the same time, I think they raised the ceiling. And I think that the potential, if these guys are healthy, if they buy into a system, if they play to the potential that they have, this team could be really, really good. And this team is coming in with, uh, you know, I, I think a little bit of a humbled attitude after what happened last year and a bit of a chip on their shoulder too. Like they're, they're not looking at it as we're the top dogs. I think they're coming in embarrassed and they're going to come in and, and play like the team that, that embarrassed themselves in the playoffs. And, and they want to, you know, I think you might see a little bit more of a dog mentality on the court this year. Yeah, Brian, it's interesting. I mean, because of the whole bubble situation, I think it affected how the teams played. I mean, PG had some issues with his, you know, saying he was depressed and kind of a mental mm -hmm. health issue type situation. And now if we were in a normal circumstance and we were traveling and the games were being played with, with you know, in arenas where they're not just staying in one in one area, I think it could have played out entirely differently. So I think that was a huge factor. Wouldn't you uh, say not the only bubble? the bubble, but the, the, you know, four and a half, five months pause in the middle of the season if, if we remember right after the all-star break before the season was suspended i think they went seven of nine um they were really starting everybody got healthy uh remember marcus morris started to find his rhythm a little bit he was rough when he first came to the clippers and i think he had a bit of a an adjustment period when he joined the roster but they started to kind of put it together and it looked like oh this is the clippers team that we've been waiting for this whole time and then the season was suspended and then you had guys missing the training camp going into the bubble guys missing the seating games um you know guys catching COVID. uh there were a lot of a lot of things that affected that and that isn't to say that every team didn't have those things and especially when we talk about uh you know the mental fortitude of 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 what this did to those guys, but being separated from your family, like that's tough, man. Like, I mean, you know, I, not, not to make light of, of, uh, of it, but in, in a lot of ways you could look at it as those guys were incarcerated. I know that they were on a, uh, on a resort, but they were being held away from their families, told that they couldn't leave. Uh, you know, the, the time between games, especially during the playoffs was a lot less than what you normally see, especially in the first round. Um, and so the recovery wasn't the same either. So yeah, I think that there were, and at the same time, there were things that helped teams. Uh, I think the, the darker atmosphere with no fans, a lot of the shooters said that that actually helped them out, uh, with their depth perception, not having fans behind the backboard. Um, and if you, if you look at the, uh, general shooting percentage across the league from the bubble and then before the bubble, they skyrocketed when they got to the bubble. A lot of guys talked about that depth perception, helping them out when it came to shooting. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of factors and you know, that it's, it's a, that's a historical, that, that's a historical landmark kind of in, in the league's history. Um, you know, I think we're going to look back on that and go, man, I can't believe we watched the bubble. You know, we watched basketball games being played completely isolated in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, it's it's mentally, it takes a toll on anyone. I mean, it's like you're away at war. You're a soldier. You're away from your family and, you, you know, you can't leave. You're, you know, it's one of those things that can, you know, separate mental 
you know, a lot of players talked about it. Dwight Howard talked about it. PG talked about it. Uh, Chris Paul talked about it. So it it kind of separates a lot of teams because you're not in your normal circumstance. So I definitely affected. Not taking anything away from what the Lakers accomplished, but I think it totally would have had a different outcome if it was playing in a normal circumstance. So it could have. You know, I mean, kudos to LeBron and, and his crew getting it done though. I mean, AD stayed focused and they got it done. Yeah, it, it it could have been a different outcome, but at the same time, I still think that they were going to be going into the playoffs with a coach that refused to make adjustments. Oh yeah. Yeah, Doc, you know, we, it's so much, but I, so many friends that I talked to about this, and I just thought his, his big Achilles heels was knowing how to play the hand he's dealt. I really thought he didn't use Shaman correctly. I thought Terrence Mann wasn't utilized at all. I think Joe Keen could have been a huge factor against the Duggets, and that didn't happen. So, I mean, I love Doc's as far as drawn up plays and X's and O's, but as far as adjustments, I think he doesn't know how to substitute and make adjustments sometimes in games. It's a lot of times I've heard him numerous times in press conferences where it says, it's not broke, just got to do it better. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I thought there needed to be a change. Even with PJ's recent interview on um, all the smoke with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, he kind of threw Doc under the bus. I don't know if you saw that interview. But yeah, he, he, he spoke really... on that today with us. Um, and, you know, he, okay. he, he kind of mentioned, you know, no disrespect to Doc. Uh, he, he owned it. He was like, you know, as a team, we weren't talking about adjustments. Um, he felt that there was um, some tension where people kind of wanted to sweep things under the rug instead of talking about the ugly sides of the games. And but that went across the board and, and he kind of clarified today that he didn't mean that just as Doc. And he was like and he admitted he's like, I didn't agree with everything the Doc did, but Doc's a hell of a coach and and as a team, we weren't good about talking about adjustments and what we could be doing differently. Yeah, because there's a lot of whispers, you know, with Doc and how he was treating the players. Even Kawhi was very vocal after their loss and you know, basketball IQ. And that sounds like coaching to me. When you say things like that, like you're not playing smart, that speaks volumes on your head coach. That's where you kind of look towards when you hear a player speak up about your team not playing with a high IQ. I also think that that was aimed maybe a little bit at uh, Montrez Harrell and Reggie Jackson. Yeah. Really? Yeah. There, yeah. There was, Why would you say Well, there was uh, – I can't remember what play it was, but I, I believe it was during the Denver series, game three maybe, uh, where Kawhi had – passed the ball out to Reggie Jackson. He took a like very contested three and missed it. And there was a timeout and you could see Kawhi walking back to the bench. And he says, uh, am I allowed to swear on the show? No, no. Okay. Yeah. And, and he said, uh, I didn't, I didn't pass the ball for that shit. Uh, and you could tell that he was frustrated with the decision-making. Um, and I think that that also, you know, that there were throughout the season, several on-court disagreements and spats with Montrez Harrell. Um, and you could see in the gameplay that Kawhi had much better on-court chemistry with uh, Zubats. Those two running the pick and roll together is one of my favorite things that they yes. did throughout the season. Um, and you didn't right. see, I, I'd be interested, you know, now that I'm talking it out, I'd be interested in looking up to see how many, um, how many passes Kawhi actually made to Montrez Harrell on the times, on the minutes that they played together. Cause it never really felt like they were super comfortable playing with each other. And that's interesting, Brian. So you're saying that basically from your knowledge of what you see and what you've heard that, that Montrez was kind of the, the kind of the, the black sheep of the Clippers with, since, since Kawhi and PG arrived? Uh, I don't know if I would, I, I would say he's the black sheep. I definitely think that there was some tension there. 
um, you know, he, he was very close with Pat and Lou. Um, I think he had the hardest time adjusting to it. Uh, you know, I, I think Lou might have had some opinions on, on some of the treatment stuff, you know, the preferential treatment stuff that we talked about. But Lou's also a vet. He's been around the league for a while. He came up under AI. You know what I mean? Like he, he's seen, he understands the way it goes. Uh, and, you know, Pat, I think maybe had a hard time. I also think that, that he was humbled a little bit in the playoffs. Um, I think he, he kind of got a little too big for his britches a couple times. We can look at that Portland game specifically um, and, and all the mess he was talking while sitting on the bench to Damian Lillard. Um, but I think that Trez, and, and this was a thing I remember reading about when Trez was being scouted uh, out as college was that it was kind of a known thing that um, he didn't do well with authority and that he was kind of, uh, he, he could be an issue from time to times. And that's why it was such a big deal that he listened to Lou. Lou was the guy that got through to him. And that, um, and that's why they were kind of always packaged together was they built this chemistry because Lou was like one of the only guys that could get through to Trez. And so uh, that's another thing to keep an eye on is, is what Trez is going to look like without Lou. Granted, I think LeBron is really, really good about bringing locker rooms together. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that in terms of displaying how frustrated they were. I think Trez might have been one of the bigger displays of that. And then, you know, that athletic article even said that the team, uh, some players on the team were frustrated with uh, with some of Montrez's, uh, you know, selfish play at times, uh, thinking that he kind of only was playing in the best interest of his offseason contract. Yeah, uh, it's... It's going to be interesting to see. It was, took me by surprise. I thought he really might leave. To, I thought it would go back east. It was just that he went to the Lakers that really surprised me. But he did sign with Clutch Sports, so it was kind of like, okay, that they might have been uh, something there underlined where Maverick or somebody was in his ear. So that's one thing to watch with him, man. It's going to be, I think, a good fit for him. I think because of what you mentioned, LeBron is so good at keeping guys' continuity together. So... I think that's um, that's going to be make the uh, the Clippers Lakers rivalry even more intense, as as it's been the last you know three to four years or so. Um, now, with the whole thing, one last thing before I, I we could talk <laughs> Clippers all day, but is there any, is there anything with the whole thing with with Doc and PG? You know, he was dating his daughter. There's something they said they they kind of have a weird relationship. Did you ever see anything or notice? Anything? Um... Not really, although to be fair, in terms of like back of house stuff, like in the locker room and all of that, I never really saw Doc interacting with the team too much. Um, but, you know, I, we're talking about human beings here. I think that I'm sure that there's a little bit of tension there because it was P PG was, I think, right. dating his daughter and then cheated on her. And, um, you know, it's hard to do that. But at the same time, I don't know how strong Doc's relationship is with his kids. I mean, Austin Rivers has made statements about um, not being particularly close with Doc uh, as like a father-son relationship because they grew up, they stayed in Orlando. And, and you know, um, right. Austin grew up in Orlando and, and Doc went off to Boston and, and the family didn't move with them. So he talked about not having, you know, a dad around that often growing up. So um, I'm not sure what that family dynamic is. I don't know how much weight you put into that. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I there was a lot of whispers with that, that they had a kind of a funny relationship and that it was kind of awkward. And even when they played, you know, Dallas, you know, Seth Curry, who's yeah. know, married to her now, you know, and Paul George, they kind of had some words on the court. I don't know if you noticed that, but it kind of was just a weird dynamic how that came full circle. And now Seth is with Doc at Philly. You know, it's just kind of odd. It's just seeing how it all unfolded. Yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> it's it's there. There's drama everywhere. Um, I don't I don't know how much stock I put right. in all of it. NBA circles, man, that is best. You know, family. Yeah, ties. I mean, we're, we're just talking about now, humanity before, here, right? Like we all have we all have yeah, relationships. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. How you know? Because emotions emotions get you know caught into team. You know, you have to be as a team it's so important when you have things this they've been going on for ages with guys you know things happen especially with women so you know sometimes i can throw off the continuity and things like that but yeah that's that's just one thing i was just wondering if you know you've been in the, the media circle if you've heard anything but I, i've read that a few times and it was kind of a weird relationship with peachy and doc but i think he has a good situation in philly we'll see how that goes but i think he actually set himself up better being in the yeah. east compared to the west now, um, Brian, in the West, out of all the teams that are were in the playoffs from the top eight going down from like the Jazz, Mavs, Thunder, Rockets, Nuggets, Clippers, Lakers, um, and uh, Portland ended up getting that eight seed, do you see all those teams making it back to the playoffs? Or what teams can you see kind of jumping in like Memphis or somewhere like that? Does San Antonio get back in? San Antonio is a big question mark for me. I, I think it's safe to say the Thunder are out of the playoffs this year. Um, so OKC is out. I think Phoenix is in. Um, I, Memphis is one of those teams a lot of people like. I know John Morant was Rookie of the Year, and they have a pretty decent team. They're, they're young, but I think they can get better. Sacramento is is... They just signed Fox to a long-term deal. Bagley, can he stay healthy? Yeah, That's I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm, ca- I'm counting Sacramento all the way out of the playoffs. They're not going to make it. I, I actually think that they're going to tear the team down a little further. Um, I think Buddy Heald is going to be on a different roster by the end of the by, by the trade deadline. Um, I, you know, that that team kind of operated without a front office for a long time, and they finally have a GM. And he has a vision. And I think the first step of that vision was uh, locking up De'Aaron Fox and making it understood that he is the centerpiece of their future. And I think going forward, they're going to do everything they can to put a, um, a supporting cast around him. So I think Buddy Heald is gone. Um, you know, I, I think the first domino and all of that after the extension for, for uh, Fox was letting Bogdan Bogdanovich go. Um, I think that kind of set the tone for what they want to do moving forward. New Orleans, it's going to be tough, especially without Drew Holiday. Um, you know, I I don't I don't know if I fully if I fully think that they're a playoff team yet. I, I got to see what a season of Zion looks like. You know, I, I want to see what Brandon Ingram looks like now that he's got the money, right? Like, like, was that, was that a performance to get paid or, or are we going to see him, you know, build upon that? Um, they have some good veteran pieces, but I still think that they're young and, and building. I'm, I'm not sure I'm fully in on that. I think San Antonio is probably going to miss again. Um, 
I have a feeling maybe that they might try to trade away one of, if not both, their best players and and Demar Derozan and uh, and Lamarcus Aldridge. Um, I think they might be kind of heading towards a rebuild. Although I, it's tough to tell. It's hard to count out San Antonio. Them missing the playoffs was shocking. So, um, you know, they've been there almost my entire life. So that that's. It, it's hard to count them out um, just because Popovich is, is such a genius coach. Right. And they were close. They were right there. There was pretty much Memphis, Phoenix, San Antonio. They were all kind of juggling for that last spot. And, you know, Portland ended up getting Yeah, and of, of those teams, I think Phoenix yeah. got is the best now. Um, and with OKC out... I think Portland's going to be much better this year. I think they're better. I think they were better than an eight seed last year. It was just circumstances put them where they were. Uh, I like some of the moves that they made. Um, I like bring bring you know them bringing Ennis Cantor back, um, Robert Covington. Like they, they got some really nice pieces. So um, I and and I you know I think Gary Trent Jr. had a had a nice little kind of coming out party in the bubble there. So I, I like what that they they've been able to do in the off season as well. Um, but yeah, I think Phoenix is the one that kind of steps into that OKC void. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I like um, New Orleans. I just, I don't know if Van Gundy will be the right coach for them. I was surprised they hired him. I thought they would go with Nate McMillan. But I, I think they have, um, it's just a matter of the growth when it happens. Lonzo Ball will be critical yeah. for their success. He's He had so much praise coming out. And then I don't know what they're doing with Bledsoe, if it's going to be kind of where Bledsoe comes off the bench or Lonzo comes off the bench, who's going to be the starting point. Josh Hart hasn't really been the same since his first year where he had a good year with the Lakers. And, and they got some J.J. Redick, the old Clipper, you know, Sundarius Thornwell. Steven Adams was acquired. I think he's he's a scrappy veteran. I think Jackson Hayes is a good young guy also. And, um, and then, of course, Ingram. So it's just a matter of... Uh, of what their next step in growth is, whether it be now or two years from now. I think it'll be critical for Lonzo Ball because we've been waiting to hear from him for quite some time now, and it hasn't really come to fruition where he gets it all together. I mean, he was drafted in, what, 2017? So I think the time is now going into 21 for him if he's going to turn the corner and become what we all thought he would be. I mean, Magic gave him so much praise, so we all expected him to do it right away, but... He's played well at times, but just haven't put it all together. So I think it'll, we'll see what happens with him and see if he can get that. Yeah, I agree with that. Him. Well, okay, Brian, uh, thank you again, man, for coming on and uh, just going over the Western Conference and, and talking a little L.A. basketball with me. And uh, I would love to have you on again. Yeah, man, uh, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And... um. Can you let our audience know where they can follow you and find you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Can, can uh, so you? you can follow me on Twitter at Brian S. Cullen. Last name is C-U-L-L-E-N. Um, I'm a, the co-host of the Clipset podcast. Uh, it's me and Joseph Raya Ward. Uh, we are going back to our weekly show with the season coming back. Uh, and then when we get into the postseason, um, we're doing it a lot more frequently. But uh, yeah, Clipset Pod on Twitter at Clipset Pod, and then uh, Ball is Left, which is another podcast that I co-host, uh, where 
myself and one of my best friends in life, uh, who's an academic, uh, you know, was a professional musician for, for years. Uh, we are both, it's, it's us kind of navigating, uh, our kind of leftist, uh, ethics and, and morals, uh, in, in terms of the sports world and, and how we can navigate this, uh, engagement that we have with this inherently unethical world of professional sports and uh kind of checking out some of the uh the the darker corners of that world and we've got different guests uh coming on we just had a uh uh jessica lutheran who was uh one of the reporters on a piece in usa today about uh sexual misconduct on uh the lsu campus especially surrounding uh the collegiate athletes athletes at uh, lsu and what Title IX is and the role that the uh, NCAA plays and all of that. So uh, you can follow that show on Twitter as well, at Ball is Left, and on Instagram, at Ball is Left. 